a series called Stay Focused. And what we've been talking about for the first three weeks is our mission statement. And the mission statement of Living Spring is like the mission statement of our lives, basically. Uh, what we do as a church is what we're supposed to be doing as, a, um, uh, as individuals. And so we reach our neighborhood and surrounding communities with the love of the Father. We do that as a church and we do that individually. Uh, our schools, our work, those around us, we reach our neighborhood and surrounding communities with the love of the Father. We restore lives to healthy relationship in the Son and we respond to a move of God's Spirit. And so that's what we talked about for the first three weeks of the series. These next three weeks, and this one is really important, and I would just um, give a word of encouragement to those of you who are here uh, physically and, uh, and you're just watching me on television, to stay focused, uh, because this is a really, really important topic that I'm going to be talking about this morning. So this morning and the next two weeks, uh, I'm going to be talking about the distractions, what distracts us from staying focused. And uh, so this morning, what we're going to do, I'm going to, I'm going to uh, tell you a quick story. We're going to start out with uh, my point, and we're going to look in the Bible to see somebody who did not do this very well and see what we can learn uh, from him. Um, when I was in high school, I went to a small high school, and uh, I was on the football team. And it wasn't like a big high school where you, you would try out for the football team and then go and look on a list to see if you made it. Uh, basically, you made it. If <laughs> you tried out, you made it. It was a small, small school, and uh, we played other small schools. Probably my best game was when we played uh, Girl Scout Pack 942. And I had, no, I'm kidding. So uh, we played these other Christian uh, high schools, and we had this guy on the team. I'm going to call him Bob. Uh, solid player, super quiet, just... Um, um, we graduated from high school, and I didn't really hear from him. And oh, I also had a friend. We're going to call her Becky. She was homecoming queen. And um, years after school, uh, Becky was at the park, and um, Bob showed up. And Bob was like, hey, Becky, how you doing? And Becky's like, oh, my goodness, it's been so long. How are you doing? They got caught up kind of a little bit, and then they parted their ways. No, no big deal. A couple weeks later, Becky comes out of the hair salon uh, in the small uh, town they're in, and um, there's, there's Bob wa walking down the sidewalk, and they're just, like, amazing. I was like, what a, what a coincidence. Bob's there, and just a few weeks ago, she saw him at the park, and uh, just odd, you know, I mean, but cool, good, good to see you again, good to see you again. A couple weeks later, uh, she's at the grocery store, uh, in the milk aisle or whatever, and you, you guessed it, you guessed it, Bob, Bob shows up, uh, and, you know, just odd, and if you're like me, uh, you're probably wondering, wow, that, this is kind of weird, it's getting weird, uh, not as weird as what Bob did next. What Bob did next, uh, a couple weeks after that, was break into Becky's house and attack her husband in the middle of the night, and Becky had to beat him off of her husband. And, um, and so we look at that situation. This is a true story, by the way. Names have been changed to protect the innocent. We look at that story, and we think to ourselves, ma'am, 
Bob has a mental disorder. Bob's really weird. And you're probably right. I don't know. I didn't diagnose Bob. But here's what I do know. We all have this mental disorder. We all have the capability of doing what Bob did to some extent. The mental disorder is called fantasy. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. We all have them. We all can get sucked into them. We all can um, have our minds wander, we might say, or daydream, or we might wish things were different. But I'm going to start off just real quick with the point that I want to make this morning, and it's this. God wants us to leave fantasy and meet him in reality. God wants us to leave fantasy and meet him in reality. God, your heavenly father, is not in fantasy. He's in reality. And so anytime we spend our time daydreaming and wishing and thinking things would be different, and if I had this different spouse, and if I had this different job, and if I only made this much more money, God isn't there giving you peace in that. He's not in there giving you joy in that. He sits back and he waits. And he says, when you're willing to come back to reality, I'm here and I'll see you through it. So let me show you uh, the section of scripture. It's a very famous section of scripture. And um, if you are even new to the Bible or new to church or whatever, you've probably heard this story. And my hope this morning, my prayer this morning, is that you'll see it in a way uh, that brings practical uh, instruction to our lives so that we can take that into the week and that we can leave fantasy behind and meet our Heavenly Father in reality. It's found in 2 Samuel chapter 11, and we're going into verse 1. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. I want you to see a couple things real quick before we move on. One is this king's men. I want you to see that because that's going to become important as we look at how far this fantasy goes and the whole Israelite army. And I also want you to notice this, that when the Bible or the text in this case, the, 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 the text of Samuel slows down or gives you uh, certain clues that makes you ask a question, ask the question. In the springtime, when kings go off to war, David. So you'd ask yourself, David, what? He sent Joab. Did he, did he go with Joab? Because David was king at, at this time. Well, uh, no, he, he didn't. It says this. One evening, David got up from his bed. What's, shouldn't David be at war? Maybe he pulled a hamstring or he's on IR or whatever. You know, he's like, oh, man, I... I'd go out to war, guys, but, you know, my, my sword-throwing shoulder, whatever it is, my archery shoulder, just, you know, it's still the, yeah, the MRI results aren't back. I, I have no idea. Maybe just because it's Super Bowl Sunday, I'm thinking that way. But he stays back, and I think I have a clue as to why. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. Now, listen. I read a lot into the Bible. I love the Bible. I like to see little clues that the Bible is dropping. And 
I know human nature, and I know I've been around long enough, and I've counseled enough people uh, to know that David thousands of years ago is no different than you and I are today. And I wonder, I wonder if last spring David didn't go to war and was wandering around his rooftop. And his fantasy of what we're going to see happens next begins to become a reality. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. I think David would go up onto his roof many nights looking around. My personal opinion, you could think different. Now, here's what the Bible says. The woman was very beautiful. Now, I just want to stop right here and just talk to us uh, as maybe Christians or people who are waiting for culture to change so we won't be triggered, <laughs> right? I, the reason I have to stop here is because some scholars believe that Bathsheba, is what we'll find out who this is, Bathsheba was doing this to entice David. Nowhere in the scripture, not one place, does it even give a hint of that. And if that were the case, I think the scripture, the text, would have said, hey, this is what is going on. But oftentimes we, because we live in fantasy, because we don't live in reality, we blame others for dressing a certain way or acting a certain way or we get triggered in our insecurities and in our weaknesses. We need to stop that. Whatever culture is doing, if it triggers you or causes you to stumble or whatever, that is on you. That is between you and your heavenly father. It is not incumbent upon culture to live in such a way that you get to be uh, just clear of uh, your issues. So the woman was, I just wanted to say that and whatever, you can take it however you want. But the woman was very beautiful. So David sent someone to find out about her. David takes his fantasy. He could have stopped right then. He could have said, you know what? I, I got to get out to war. I got to go with my men and be in the battle. No, he doesn't do that. He takes it one step further. Now, right now, David hasn't, um, we don't know what was happening in David's heart. We just see, he sees this woman and he, he, he uh, finds out about her. Now, it's very fascinating what happens next. The man uh, that David inquires about says, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. This is very fascinating to me for a bunch of different reasons. One is when we engage in fantasy, we oftentimes dehumanize the other parties that are involved. They're just, I wish... They were this, if I were married to this person, that would be so much better than the person I'm married to now. If I had those kids, if I had that job, it's never if I changed. <laughs> Fantasy never includes us grinding away at our own personal holiness, trying to get our issues resolved. Fantasy always involves dehumanizing another person that ends up serving our fantasy. And what I love about this scripture is this. The person has a name. She's somebody's uh, daughter and she's somebody's wife. This is a human being David is talking about. 
somebody with hopes and dreams and a relationship with the Lord, most likely. Uh, this is who this is. And David says, find out about her. And the person, the, the scripture could almost said this, she's Bathsheba, dummy. David knows who she is. Because Iliam and Uriah the Hittite, if you go back to verse 1, are part of his mighty men. You can read about it in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 28. Iliam and Uriah the Hittite fought side by side with David. David knew Bathsheba when she was a little girl. Iliam fought with David, one of his mighty men. Uriah the Hittite was one of his mighty men. David knew exactly who she was and this is what we do in fantasy we just take another little step oh i'm just interested in the information i'm just gonna go on her instagram page and just just see what how she's doing i just wanted to see i i just i just was curious and i i didn't know she was into yoga so I, I've scrolled many, many pictures. Oh, yeah, she's still into yoga. Or I didn't know he, you know, rode horses and he lives in Idaho. I, I don't know, but we, this is what we do. We just go step, 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 innocent, innocent, meet you in the park, meet you when you come out of the hair salon, just little tiny steps. The man says, dummy, it's Bathsheba. You know who she is. It's the daughter of Iliam. One of your right-hand men and, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. So David sent messengers to go get her. He's stepping fantasy step, fantasy step, fantasy step. David sent. David has one thing on his mind. You know what that is? David. And when we get into fantasy, we have one thing on our mind. Our needs, our dreams, our life. And we marginalize and we objectify those around us. And it destroys our relationships. So she came to him and he slept with her. Now, uh, again, before we blame Bathsheba, she had no choice in the matter. It's the king. You, you, do not, you do not say no to the king. And so he slept with her. And so I kind of summed up... Um, Chapter 11, verse 4 with this. So David realized his fantasy. This is, what, this is why he was on the roof, in my opinion. This is why he was on the roof in the first place. This is why he didn't go to war. This is why he was shirking his responsibilities. This is why he got up off of his bed. Actually, some scholars think it, it, it was not necessarily a bed, but a couch. I mean, he's just lying around, wasting time. This is when our fantasies get us, when we are idle. And so he, he's idle, and he's letting his mind wander, and he goes, oh, I'm going to go up on the roof. David realizes his fantasy. Now, in God's plan, if somebody gets pregnant, the, the plan is that you've committed to each other for life, that you can raise this child, and it's a joyous occasion. We just had our second uh, grandbaby, Nora Grace Rogan, and uh, I couldn't go up to see her, and Lisa couldn't go up to see her because I had tested positive for COVID, but uh, we will go and see her, and it's joyous, and I have pictures and little videos, and it's awesome. That's the way it's supposed to be, and I don't know where David's fantasy ended because we never carry a fantasy into reality in our minds. It always stops 
somewhere unrealistic. So I just wrote down, this was how it would normally go if you were married to somebody and got them pregnant. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, congrats, bun in the oven, okay? Like, it's fun. Like, hey, this is great. We get to raise a kid together. I, I wrote another one. The woman conceived and sent and texted David and said, hashtag parents. You know, ha happy, happy time. But when we realize our fantasy, oftentimes it's not happy. Oftentimes it means a monthly bill. It may mean bankruptcy. It may mean a DUI. It may mean an unplanned pregnancy. It may mean an STD. It may mean all sorts of different things that come upon us because God wants us so desperately to leave fantasy and to meet him in reality. That's where he is. The woman conceived and said, last month was amazing. No. Here's what she said to David. I am pregnant. And David's fantasy has now become his reality. And when that happens, when that happens, you have one option. David took another option, but you have one option, and that option is confession. Confession breaks that cycle of fantasy, brings us into reality. You handle the consequences of what they are right at that time, and you begin to move on. And for those of you who are still in your fantasy and haven't felt the consequence of it, or those who have felt the consequence of it and you're feeling it now, that is for next week. We're going to talk about that next week. We're going to get all that handled. But your option is confession, and David doesn't do that. He doesn't come clean. He doesn't own it. He keeps going. David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. Joab, like I said, when the king asks you to do something, you do it. Send me. Remember, again, send me. What is, what is David's fantasy revolve around? David, again. David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite, and Joab sent him to David. When Uriah, this is so bizarre. This is so bizarre. David is now in the palace talking to the man whose wife he slept with. David asked him, How, how's Joab? How are the soldiers? <laughs> right? He, 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 he's gotten this guy's wife pregnant. This is how sick the delusion has come. How's the war going? Uriah's like, oh, you know, you know, Bill, he got his arm chopped off. But, you know, we were able to put a tourniquet on it. We think he's going to make it. Oh, yeah, Steve died. Yeah, he got an arrow in the chest. Yeah. But I'd say the war is going pretty good other than the death part of it. But it's going good, right? I don't know how that went down. So David gets Uriah drunk. And the whole point is that Uriah gets a little tipsy and goes home, right, and takes care of business. See, when two people really love each other, right? Well, Bathsheba has got to deal with that too. David has destroyed her life as well. And so Uriah, he gets Uriah drunk. Uriah doesn't go home. He, he can't because he says to David, and we'll, we'll skip a few verses here, but he says to David, how can I go home when the Ark of the Covenant's sitting in a tent and my men, the guys I fight with, are out in battle? I can't go home and 
have sex and get drunk and get all cleaned up. There's a battle raging. I'm in reality, David. I can't do that. So David was told Uriah didn't go home. So he asked Uriah, haven't you just come from a military campaign? Why didn't you go home? This happened twice. So here's what David does. What's David's option? David's option is confession. But he doesn't. He follows the fantasy. In the morning, David wrote a letter. Look how sick this is. David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. Put Uriah out in front where the fighting is fiercest, then withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. And Joab has no choice. Joab is stuck. So David writes Uriah's death sentence and has Uriah carry it with him to his death. When the men of the city came out and fought against Joab, some of the men in David's army fell. Moreover, Uriah the Hittite died, and David feels great about it because he was able to realize his fantasy, and it had no consequences. Let me just tell you as clearly as I possibly can because I have people sit in my office all the time, sitting in their reality with broken relationships, broken finances, broken circumstances, because you never outrun the consequences of your fantasies. God's not there. He's not in your fantasy. He's not there to guide you or help you. What he says is, leave fantasy and meet me in reality. So Uriah the Hittite died. I kind of consolidated all those verses into one summation of Cliff's Notes, if you will. One evening, David got up from his bed, started on realizing his fantasy, and a bunch of innocent people died and families were ruined. And that's what I see every week of my ministry, this exact same thing. God wants us to leave fantasy. If you are spending your idle time thinking about how you're going to get even, how you're going to be satisfied, how you're going to make sure your life comes out to where all the things you want you get, he wants you to leave that and meet him in reality. Meet him in your current marriage. Meet him in your current job. Meet him in your current relationship status. Meet him there. That's where he is. Because here's the reality, is that God wants to meet you in reality. And when you get to the end of your fantasy, and your, your life begins to crumble, and my life begins to crumble, and we begin to see all the things that happen, all the different um, consequences of that, then God will meet us there as well. And that's exactly what happened. The Lord sent Nathan to David. And had some very, very strong words. As a matter of fact, Nathan laid out all the consequences of David just getting up off his couch that one night and walking around the roof of the building. If it had just stopped there, but David was going to lose his son. David's kingdom was always going to be in conflict and David's family was going to end up in ruin. And that is what happens when we don't leave fantasy. Now, I'm just going to talk about a section of Scripture in Corinthians that can give us a couple tools to help us 
um, as we end up m moving uh, from fantasy into reality. It's found in 2 Corinthians. This is a, a letter that Paul wrote uh, to the church in Corinth. And it says this. For though we live in the world, in other words, we live in reality, right? We don't wage war the way the world does. We don't live in outrage, offense, um, um, desires, uh, objectification, marginalization. We don't do those things. Uh, remember a couple weeks ago, Jesus said, not so with you, not so with you and me. The weapons we fight with, how we navigate, are not the weapons of the world. We don't need our needs met, our rights uh, um, accomplished, all these different things. We're, we're operating in a completely different, we're operating in the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish those fantasies, to demolish strongholds. The weapons that God gives us in reality give us the ability to demolish those things before they're so destructive. We demolish arguments. You know, have you, have you done this in your own mind? Well, you know what? My needs aren't really being met. And, you know, if she or he would do this and, and I deserve and, you know, I've, I, I pour everything into this relationship. And, and the word of God says, no, stop. The weapons we fight with aren't those weapons. We demolish that argument. You're, you're, you're doing fine. Or if I had just got, gotten this house or this job, or, or, or you, you fantasize about getting even, right? And God says, stop it. No. We demolish arguments in every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ if David had just thought of that thing. I'm going to go up on the roof and said, wait a second. Taking that thought, tied it up in a chair and said, where did you come from? Take it captive. You interrogate it. What, what, what's going on inside of me? We make it obedient to Christ. We say, no, you know what? I'm going to go off with my men. This is ridiculous. I'm going to delete that account. I'm going to unfollow that person. You know what? I'm going to stop watching that show. I'm going to stop listening to that podcast. I, I need to take these thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ. This is how we stop fantasy and meet God in reality. We analyze what is going on inside of me. And then we take those things and we bring them to our Heavenly Father. And we say, Lord, I have this fantasy. I don't know where it comes from. If it comes from my insecurity, my brokenness, family of origin, it doesn't matter. I don't fight with the weapons that the world fights with. I take it and I give it to you. You make it obedient. You tell me what you would have me to do. What we're going to do right now is as the, we're going to have the worship team come back up and um, we have some uh, pillows set down here in the front so that you can come and kneel and um, you can um, pray. And maybe for you, one of the things you want to pray for is um, a fantasy you've been mulling around in your head that you want to give over to God. And maybe you want to kneel and, and, and say, you know what, I, I, God, I want to make these thoughts. I want to take them captive and make them obedient to Christ. Maybe it's something you're going through 
that is uh, big and you want someone to pray for you, you know, personally pray for you. We have someone at the cross there that can do that. Um, but uh, we're going to have the worship band end in a song and we'll have that time of prayer. Uh, and then uh, someone will come up and give you the blessing and you can be dismissed. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, these fantasies can be powerful. Our flesh can be powerful. Our thoughts can be powerful. God, I pray that we would crush them, that we would defeat them, that these fantasies would just be, uh, would turn into reminders to bring all of our cares, all of our needs, all of our desires to you to make them subject to you. And that's what you did with your Heavenly Father. And so we follow your example and we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.